We are wrapping up this series. We've spent the last three weeks, we've got this week, um, in which we are looking at the Bible and just, just taking a, a couple of weeks to sort of think about it and think about the priority that it is supposed to be in our lives and, and how we can make it a priority in our lives, some of the ways in which we can do that. Now, the, the first three weeks we were in the Old Testament, I, I think importantly, so that we can see that God's people, from the time that God calls them, have been people of his word. That we have always been focused on God's word as his people. But this week, today, we are turning over to the New Testament. We're turning to the book of Colossians uh, in particular. I know that Colossians can be hard for us to find sometimes. It's not a book that we spend a lot of time in. It's not a book that's very thick. It's also incredibly hard to spell. As someone who has had to type Colossians several times this week, I keep wanting to put two L's in it, and it only has one. Um, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Colossians um, in your Bible. If you don't have uh, your Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn in the Black Pew Bible that's there in front of you. If you don't have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, please take that with you today as a gift to you. And I'm going to take a moment as you're turning, because it's going to take you a moment to find Colossians. It's no trouble if you want to use the index or the table of contents. But as you are turning, I I want to take a moment to sort of talk about something related, but not directly related. And that is this. I hope that you are bringing your Bible with you to church. I know some of you don't. That's okay. Some of you might forget it. That's why we've got them there in front of you. But I hope that you're bringing it with you. I hope that you are sitting with it open as I preach. I hope that you are engaging. I hope that you are underlining and writing notes, not just on Sunday morning, but any time that you read Scripture. We put the words up here and we read it together. That is true. But nothing beats your Bible in your hand reading along with us. So, we are in Colossians, the third chapter We're going to be reading the first 17 verses. Will you stand with me as you are willing and able as we read God's word together? So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear God, as we turn to your word this morning, I pray that you would make us one body dedicated to the study of your word, that you would, that you would take us a group of individuals and through your blood, through your covenant, that you would make us a, a new people, your people, a new family. And so, God, as we open your word this morning to study it, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. What do you think the most well-known verse of Scripture is? John 3.16, right? Now, I don't know. I, I looked. I actually looked to see if anyone had done a study of this, and, and, and I couldn't find one that had been done. But if it's not John 3.16, John 3.16 has got to be in, like, what, the top five, the top three? I mean, I don't know, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time when you could not turn on a ball game on TV, football, baseball, college, professional, and you wouldn't see somebody standing in the crowd with a, John, with a sign on it that said John 3.16. It became so ubiquitous that the professional wrestler Steve Austin um, created Austin 3.16 as a marketing scheme to sort of joke about how ubiquitous it had gotten. Stone Cold Steve Austin. But here's the thing about John 3.16. We know John 3.16. A lot of us reference John 3.16. But I think sometimes we do that completely independent of the context that it came from. I posted something on Facebook this week about, about always remember the context. And, and I wish preachers would stop preaching John 3.16 without also including John 3.17 and 3.18. But more than that... We've got to remember where John 3.16 comes from. John 3.16, these are words spoken by Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Me, Jesus is saying. This is a conversation that John's having. And who's he having it with? He's having it with this Pharisee named Nicodemus. That's the, that's the context of John 3, right? That Nicodemus has come to him in the night under the cover of darkness and asks him, what do I need? And Jesus responds in John 3, 3, 
Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the context. Jesus explaining to Nicodemus about this new life and and this new birth. Jesus talking to a, a learned religious man who is so terrified of condemnation from his own community that he comes to Jesus in the dark of night. I've had a couple of late night, middle of the night conversations with some folks from this church on my front porch. You come to me in the dark of night to have conversation. That's where Paul starts this passage in Colossians 3 is an understanding that the people of God are going to have been marked by a new birth. That the people of God are going to have been marked by being made new in Christ. And as we think about this, as we think about and start the process of thinking about what Paul is telling us, let's think about if we're born again, what's born? Babies, right? When something is born, it's a, it's a baby. And what do babies inevitably, invariably do? Grow. They don't stay the same. Somewhere, somewhere between the beginning, end of June and beginning of July and yesterday, I stopped having a little baby and got a little boy. Somewhere. I don't know how it happened. There are moments that I wish I could return him and get the baby back. Because we are approaching toddlerhood at full bore. No, Jamie, you cannot, in fact, put a fork in the power socket. No, no, you, in fact, cannot pick that roach up and stick it in your mouth. No, no, you, 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 can't, you can't take daddy's phone and call 911. Twice. Twice I've stopped him. Of course, always followed by the inevitable meltdown, right? But he, here's the thing. He's growing, and he's going to continue to grow. In a year, he's not going to be what he is now, and in 16 years, he's not going to be a toddler anymore, and we're going to be doing college visits, and I'll be explaining to him why, of all of the Division I schools in North Carolina, he wants to attend Wake Forest. As long as we get the money for it. But here's the thing. If we're born again, when you're born, we're what? Babies. We're babies in the faith. And Paul even talks about this in other places. Uses that expression. And what do we do? We're supposed to grow and mature. We're supposed to to keep growing and maturing in Christ as we cast off the old self and put on the new self in Christ. We're supposed to change and grow. This is what Paul's going to be talking about here, but, but I, want to, I want to just rest here for a moment because, because I feel like that we have accidentally done a disservice in the church to people. We have so emphasized, not incorrectly, 
being born again that we have forgotten to tell people that after they're born again, they're not done. And they have to continue to grow in faith. You know, one of the things that I always had great respect for Billy Graham for was this. He would partner with local churches. It was one of the things that made Billy Graham different than traveling evangelists who had come before him. He would partner with local churches, and if someone made a decision at a Billy Graham crusade, they would be connected with a local church to be plugged in for them to come alongside and help them grow. Altar calls independent of follow-up do people a disservice. It gives them a, a false sense of security. We've, we've accidentally told people that once they're born again, once they enter and exit the waters of baptism, that's it, they're done. Here's the thing. You were baptized in 1981, and it's okay because you're still a member of Fairmont First Baptist Church, even though you haven't been here since 1981. Here's the thing. You made a profession of faith. Nothing in your life changed. Not, there is no f- evidence of fruit of the Spirit in your life at all. But it's okay because you said magic words and you're good. And so there are people, as Matthew 7 tells us, that the day of judgment is going to come and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, I called out to you and I did all these things for you. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. Because you never had relationship with me. Because, because maybe you entered the waters of baptism and you came out and, and maybe you said some words after a preacher at a revival somewhere, but you were never born again. Because if you're born again, you're going to grow and mature. Because that's what babies do, right? They grow and mature. They don't, they don't do it on choice. They do it because that's what babies do. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's he's showing the people in in, in the church in Colossae, he's showing them what this looks like. He tells them, he says, says, you're going to put your mind on the things of God because you've been raised with Christ. Because you've been born again, this is what's going to happen. You're, You're going to put your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Now, Paul's not trying to over-spiritualize things here. That's the, other, that's the other thing we can run into, right? Is that we can make our walk with Jesus that it's a spiritual thing and there's no practical day-to-day application to it. But there is. Paul continues later on at the very end of what we read today, right? What does he say? In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about that word everything. In the Greek, it means everything. Everything. Do in the name of our Lord. Okay. When was the last time you brushed your teeth in the name of the Lord? When was the last time, when was the last time you bought groceries in the name of the Lord? When was the last time you changed a diaper in the name of the Lord? I'll be honest, 
I've had a few diapers in which I have evoked his name. Everything, even the most mundane tasks, Paul is telling us, when you are born again, everything, it's not over-spiritualized, it's it's, it's practical. It's day-to-day. Brush your teeth, go to school, go to work. Get your coffee at McDonald's in the name of the Lord. If more people went to fast food restaurants and got their food in the name of the Lord, the people who work in our fast food restaurants would be treated a lot better than they are. You ever want to make somebody's day? Simply smile at the lady in the drive-thru at McDonald's. It's amazing how few people do that. So what this means is we've got to put off the things of the world and we've got to start living as if we're already in heaven. You know, we're, it's not going to do it perfectly. We're going to fail at it. That's, that's okay. Because when Jamie got up and he started walking, he, he, doesn't, he didn't go from, from walking to from crawling to running a marathon, did he? If he takes after me, he'll never run a marathon. No, he, he walked and he would fall and he'd get up. And he'd walk and he'd fall and he'd get up. Last weekend we went to Lumber River State Park and, and he wanted to walk some of it. And there were some roots in the way, some, some things that he stumbled over as a, as a baby, right? Because he doesn't quite know how to pick his foot all the way up and over the root. And so he stumbled. But you know what? We didn't make a big deal out of it. We were there if he needed help. And he'd fall and he'd get up and he'd keep walking. And he'd fall and he'd get up and he'd keep walking. And here's the thing. Sometimes we're going to fail at putting off these things that Paul lists here. Sometimes we're going to trip over it and we're going to fall right on our face. I've done it at least three times this week. I did it at least three times yesterday. But do we keep up? Do we get up and we keep going? Are we, are we aware that Jesus is walking with us and that he is there to pick us up and dust us off and say, all right, in faith, keep walking. You know, Paul, Paul lists, lists out some things to avoid here, and I don't want to spend a great deal of time on these lists. You know what these lists are. You've heard these li- the list, this list or a list like this before. But I also do want to just say this. If not one thing in this list convicted you, then you either A, weren't listening, or B, aren't very self-aware. Because something in this list should have said, oh, yeah, about that. Paul then moves into this really interesting thing where he says, look, okay, so you've got to put off these things and you've got to put on Christ, but, but here's the thing, you're not going to do it alone. I want to look real quick at verse 9 here. So we've had this list, right? And then verse 9 starts, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self. 
Now, it would be really interesting to sort of just include that don't lie to one another in that same list of things that Paul had just been talking about. But it doesn't fit the pattern. In fact, the pattern it fits is the pattern that he, he, he's already done in that, that first list, right? He has a first list, and then he, he sort of goes to the side and he says, because you do these things, God's wrath is coming. And now here's another list of things to don't do. And he, and, and he says, do not lie to one another. And he includes this one another. Nowhere else does he say, don't, don't be mad with one another, don't have wrath with one another, don't have malice with one another, don't, don't slander one another. He doesn't do that, right? He's just saying, don't do these things. And then he says, do not lie to one another. He's, he's beginning to rope in the church, to bring in the community and the people of God into this journey toward Christ's likeness. He's, what he's saying here is don't lie to one another about who you are. Don't lie to one another about your struggles over sin. Because we do that, don't we? Even, even in the church, especially in the church, we lie to one another. How are you doing? Oh, I am great. Thanks for asking. While inside, we're dying. You know, we do this thing where we feel this need to present this this perfect and holy exterior to the world. Jesus called it a whitewashed tomb where everything was good and, and clean and pristine on the outside, the image that we presented to everybody. But then inside, what's a tomb? It's full of death and decay and old bones. And we do that. We, we present this image to the world, to each other, in the church. All right, I'm going to touch on something that might get me in trouble. Do you know how many of your houses I've been into and you have two refrigerators? Now, we all know what's in that second refrigerator, right? I don't have a problem with it. The Bible doesn't say don't drink. The Bible says don't drink to excess. Why do you got two refrigerators? Because just in case somebody comes over, they can go in your first one and they don't have to know about that second one in the garage. I can already tell some of you are going to have words with me after service. But it's true, is it not? It's true. Now, here's the thing. When I was growing up, we had two refrigerators. That's just because we had more drinks than we could keep in the main refrigerator. So we had the other one out in the garage. Why? Why do we do it? Why why do we think that we can get away with driving to the, the back door of the liquor store over in Roland? here's the thing it doesn't matter what other people see it matters what he sees it doesn't matter what you present to other people it matters what you present to him what you present to God here's the thing the gospel frees us from this need to lie to one another 
You see, that need to lie to one another, that's religion. That's, that's the religion of the world. That's the, I've got to prove to everybody else how good I am. The gospel frees us from this because the gospel allows us to tell the truth. I'm not good. I'm a sinner. I am, in the words of amazing grace, a wretch. Saved by grace. Amazing grace. See, the gospel sets us free to be honest with one another, to be honest with ourselves, and to proclaim a further truth that it's not me and my stuff, but it's Christ and his that's working in me as I put off the old and pull on the new. Here's the further good news. Everyone and anyone gets to be a part of the family of God. The family of God is not closed by race or social status. It's not closed by which side of the tracks you live on, what part of town you come from, or even who you cheer for on Saturday. The kingdom of God, the family of God, is open to all who he would call to himself. So we see what we're supposed to be. We see that we're supposed to bear with one another, to forgive one another. That this is to be a community shaped by the example of Jesus. That just as the Lord has forgiven us, we are to forgive one another. But then Paul says this, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Now, that's a, that's a plural you. This is, this is one of those times where I wish more Bible translators were Southerners. The number one contribution of the South to the American English language is the plural second person, y'all. Every other language has it. English doesn't. Except down here. Let the word of Christ richly, blah. Let me start that again. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among y'all. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. See, there's, a, there's an element here. There's an element here of this community where to be one body, where to let the word of God dwell among all of us together. See, this isn't something we're supposed to do alone. This isn't something that we do solo. This isn't something that we do by ourselves. There are no lone wolves in the kingdom of God. We're meant to do it together. Early on, after the Nazi party came to power in Germany, they closed a bunch of seminaries. The only seminaries they would allow to remain open were those seminaries that supported the regime. And I 
unfortunately have to tell you that there were some who did. But there was a group of those who had gotten together and formed what they called the Confessing Church, who were in opposition to the Nazi regime. They got together and they started an underground secret seminary. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of that. And reflecting on that experience, he wrote a little book called Life Together. It's a short but excellent read. And in Life Together, Bonhoeffer wrote this, Help must come from outside. And it has come. And comes daily and anew in the word of Jesus Christ, bringing redemption, righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. But God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother and in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belaying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. The Bereans knew this in Acts Paul's going around, and in Acts 17, 11, this is what is said about the Bereans. The people here in Berea were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Examined the Scripture daily together. We, we, should, we should do that. We should get together to study the Word. One of the centers of the Reformation in the 1500s was Zurich in Switzerland. And in Zurich, in the Switzerland, men gathered, people gathered together daily to study Scripture together every day. How do we do this? How do we gather together? and share and study the Word together. Well, one way we do this is in large gatherings in the church. In worship. Worship, which should always be Word-centered. But also in Bible study at other times. This congregation does Bible study on Wednesday night and Sunday night. We're starting back Wednesday this week. Be here, 630 The other way that we do this is we do this in small groups. We see this in the example of Jesus, right? Jesus had the crowds, but then he had the small group that he led. This is the the twelve, the disciples. I would say this. Small groups need to be between six and twelve people. Much bigger than that, it's not a small group anymore. When you get to twelve, split back down to six or so, and you grow by multiplication. Small groups, Jesus' small groups, they weren't... They weren't didactic. It wasn't Jesus sitting around all the time just lecturing to his disciples. They were living together. They were interacting with each other. They were asking questions of each other and being relational. You know, this is 
the new front door to the church. Relational small groups. The churches that I know of that are the most healthy, the most vibrant and growing are churches that have based at the center of their discipleship strategy, not the Sunday morning experience, but relational small groups. The model of Jesus. The model of Jesus continues with an even smaller group of two or three who gather to do discipleship with one another. As iron sharpens iron, gathered to love one another, to live with one another, to speak the word of God to one another, to hold each other to account, places where they can feel comfortable to not lie to one another. We're to center our lives on God's word. But we are not to live those lives alone. We're to live those lives together as a church family. Centered on the word. Preaching, speaking, studying the word with and to one another. As a family, we we gather and we share a meal. If the deacons who are going to help serve will go ahead and start coming to the front. We share this meal together. We break bread together because we are a community. This 